You know, I always have to say the thing that everybody else is thinking, but uh, y'all did pretty good with that old spiritual song there. I'm proud of you for having a little soul this morning. Amen? Uh, That was good stuff. So thank you for for working on that, Chris, and worship team. I want to just say again, I'm I'm glad you're here. Uh, We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6 this morning. If you have a Bible and want to be following along in your Bible or on your phone or however, I encourage you to do that. I also want to... publicly thank Andrew for preaching last week, reminding us uh, about the role that we all play in helping make faith possible for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, and if you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that uh, online on our website or on our YouTube channel or Facebook page, wherever you might find that. Also, I can't believe that I forgot to mention this a minute ago, but while uh, the Shakurov family are in uh, Texas from Kazakhstan, um, Johnny Adams and I had had several conversations about what would be the most Texas things that they could do, you know, while they're here. So I just want you to know that over the last couple of days, they have experienced Friday night lights. They went to Kaufman's homecoming football game, uh, and it was a really fun experience for me because they know nothing about American football. So... I sat in front of them and was trying my best to explain to them about American football. It is a very complicated game, in case you have not ever tried to explain it to somebody that didn't have any idea about what was going on. So there's a lot to go on. And then last night, Johnny and Polly took them to the stockyards over in Fort Worth, and they went to the rodeo. So they have, um, I think they've done everything there is to do in Texas. So they're going to head back to Florida to be with the Greens, I know, tomorrow. But we're really thankful that they've been here. They'll be around, and so be sure and come and greet them and encourage them, give them a hug, uh, and let them know how much we love them uh, here in Kaufman, how grateful we are for our relationship with them uh, and, and the ongoing way that, that that's developed over the many years that we've had that. So, so as I said, we're in uh, Daniel chapter 6 in our sermon series in the book of Daniel. And I, I've mentioned, I'm just going to kind of jump in this morning, and I've mentioned several times over the course of this sermon series that the chapters in the book of Daniel, uh, can't, you can't see them or think of them as things that are happening, uh, real, like in real, they're happening in chronological order, but not right at one right after another. There's a lot of time that passes between each of the chapters as this story has unfolded. And so the story started uh, in Babylon, and Babylon being the dominant nation uh, on the planet and going and conquering Israel and dragging off Israelites to live in Babylon, but when we pick up in Daniel chapter 6, the dominant nation is now Persia, because you may remember a couple weeks ago at the end of Daniel chapter 5, Persia conquered Babylon, and, when, and so when we pick up there, that's, that's who's in charge of, the, of that part of the world, and we're going to meet a new leader, a guy named Darius. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I feel like I need to say as we start preparing to read the first few verses There's probably like one or two people in here that are history buffs enough to know that would even need me to say this. But for those one or two of you, uh, we're going to meet this person named Darius. This Darius guy is is probably, you need to think of him like like a vice king, like a vice president. Um, not, Not necessarily maybe the actual king. He would be, Darius would most likely be serving under the actual king, which would be a guy named Cyrus. Um, And you get a glimpse of this. I'm not going to read the verse, but the very last verse in Daniel chapter 6 references Cyrus's name. And so this is an image of a statue that someone created many, many, many years ago about of Cyrus. 
For those that know your history, Cyrus was known as Cyrus the Great, and for hundreds of years, uh, Cyrus is, was, would be considered, in sort of the records of history, Cyrus would be considered uh, the greatest political figure, uh, the greatest military leader, the greatest king in the history of the world up to that point in history. His accomplishments would, you wouldn't, if you don't know about Cyrus, his accomplishments would only be rivaled by a guy that you would know hundreds of years after him, a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Uh, and so just in terms of the way people talk about and think about Alexander the Great would be the exact same way that people talk about Cyrus. And so Darius, the guy we're going to read about, is likely like a sub-king, a vice-king under Cyrus. And he would have been in charge as in this role of, of large areas, maybe massive areas of Cyrus's kingdom, the kingdom of Persia. And one thing you're going to notice about Darius that's different if you've been tracking with this series in other weeks that we've been working through these stories, is that Darius likes Daniel. Uh, in other parts of the story of Daniel so far, uh, political leaders, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, his son, uh, they, they, may, they may like Daniel okay, but it's kind of like, you know, they put up with him, they, they use him when they need him, right? If they have a bad dream and they need him to interpret that dream, they call him to come and to help them. So, but that's, you're going to see something's different with Darius. Darius doesn't just use Daniel. He seems to have some sort of affection for him. He has a good relationship with him and he li genuinely likes him. And so, uh, that's a little bit of background. Let's kind of pick up in verse 1, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. This is what it says. It pleased Darius, so Persia's in charge, and now Darius is at work. It pleased Darius as he rules to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over those 120 satraps. So satraps would have been like governors. Think of them like governors over parts of this kingdom, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel's one of the three administrators over the 120 governors. The satraps were made accountable to the administrators so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set over him the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds of charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could not find corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against Daniel, against this man Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so as I said a minute ago, a lot of time has passed between chapters. And so by the time we arrive in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, Babylon has been swept off the world stage now they aren't a major player in the story at all. And this matters because the time, by the time of this story, the time that has passed, Daniel is an old man. And I, I want you to think about, if you grew up in church especially, how you were taught or pictured this story as a child. Because I, I hate to break this to you, if hopefully this isn't too hard of news, but a lot of us heard this story. We saw pictures of this story portrayed, and Daniel was a young man, and that's just not the case. Daniel is an old man by the time this story plays out, and I think it changes the way that you think about this story. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about why that is in just a minute. Uh, but again, 
you, well, one of the reasons is because Daniel gets thrown in a den of lions, which is a spoiler alert. You've had a, a few thousand years to know this story if you don't know it, but that's the way it's going to end. And that matters, whether he, the fact that he's an old man matters when we get to the lion's den. So when, when he was carried off to, from Babylon, to, to Babylon from Israel, he was probably, scholars debate, maybe 14, 15, 16, 17, he's somewhere in his teen years. He's a teenager. And by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, he is likely in his mid-70s or early 80s. Just think about that for a minute. And so we've literally watched Daniel's life unfold over these last six chapters. And when we pick up in Daniel 6, Daniel is still working for the empire. It was Babylon, and now it's Persia. And in the verses we just read, the first five verses of chapter 6, King Darius is, is doing some reorganizing of his kingdom. Right, he's com- essentially, if you, if you were kind of following what we read, he's essentially creating a chain of command, right? Cyrus is king, Darius is sort of sub-king, and he's, he's got three administrators, he's got 120 governors under him. He's essentially taking care of the chain of command, a flow chart of the, uh, within his organization, so that everybody knows who they directly report to, and he can divide up responsibility and get some help running things in this massive kingdom. This kingdom would have been massive. You could Google just how large it was. It expanded for over the now what is lots of different places around that, on that part of the world. But it was a large kingdom. And so he divides it up into like 120 provinces. And he says, I think I'll appoint a governor over each of these provinces. But in addition to the governors, I'm going to appoint three administrators. Maybe these might be like his cabinet, his staff, right? And so Daniel, he chooses Daniel as one of these, this Jewish exile that had served the Babylonian empire so faithfully, is chosen by Darius to serve as one of his three administrators. But Daniel is so good at his job that he begins to shine. He shows just how competent he is. And King Darius says, you know, Daniel is so good at his job, I think I'll just put Daniel in charge of everything that I'm in charge of in this kingdom. Let him run the whole show. Because he's so responsible and so capable. And of course, this makes the other administrators like, well, I just got a position that was really important. It makes them all really jealous. It makes them upset. So they start trying to create this story, some way to create an excuse that Daniel is, and accuse Daniel of some sort of wrongdoing. But the problem is, Daniel isn't taking any bribes, right? He's not embezzling money. He's not being dishonest. There, there is zero scandal to expose, He's full of integrity. He's honest. He's a person of character. And the administrators and the governors realize, like, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. No character flaw. The only thing we can find is, that might make him a little bit vulnerable is his religion. He's a Jew. He follows God. And so they put together the plan. They, they set a trap, essentially. King Darius isn't aware at first of what they're doing. He comes to be aware of it later. But their plan is really sort of smart, actually. If you think about, if you, if, you, if you go with what I said a minute ago, that Darius is sort of some sort of sub-king under King Cyrus, they're going to attempt to give Darius what might amount to like an ego boost. They come to Darius and they say, they say you know, Darius, oh great and mighty Darius, they say, you are just beginning your reign as the king over this region of the empire we have all agreed, what if, you know, in order to show the people who's in charge, in order to kind of firmly establish your reign and rule of the throne that you sit on in this part of the kingdom, 
that you should pass a law, if you want to, you should pass a law for the entire country that during the next 30 days, no one can pray to any other God or human being except you. Just, just try it, Darius, and just see. I mean, not forever, just 30 days. And so, you know, just, just pass a law that nobody can pray to anybody but you. And, and then they say this, and anybody who does pray to anybody but you, any other God or another human being, well, we have a suggestion for that too because we spent some time thinking about this and have a suggestion for you about what should happen to those people. You can do with them what you want, but we think it'd be sent a great message, a powerful message of your greatness, Darius, that if that law is broken, that the people who break that law, well, maybe they could be thrown into the den of lions. This is the trap that they set. And I want to just say quickly here that it should tell us something about any nation that has a lion's den in the first place, right, that has been created specifically for the purpose of torturing people who get out of line, right? We're not just going to put people to death. We're going to put them to death in a spectacular way. And so King Darius, he listens to his, these couple of administrators and these 120 governors, and he says, you know, I think it's, it's a pretty good idea, a nice little boost for my ego. I mean, people would pray to me. I would have the ability to grant their request. Everybody should just suspend their, their normal religious activities and pray to me alone. And so he passes the law. So for 30 days, nobody can pray to another God or to any other human, to any other human being other than Darius. And we're going to pick up in verse 10. This is what happens next. <clears throat> now, when Daniel learned that the decree, the law, had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows faced Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. I want to stop here just a minute and just, again, point out, we know Daniel is a Jew. He has a particular way that he does things. If you guys would go back to that last slide, I'm going to emphasize that phrase that we looked at, right? He's, he's, he's kosher, which means he won't, he'll only eat certain things that Jews eat. He prays three times a day at set times throughout the day because this was sort of the way that he lived into his faith. And Daniel not only prays to God, God, Daniel only prays to God and to Yahweh, but he prays toward Jerusalem as well. Because for Daniel, he understood that the center of God's activity in the world happened in Jerusalem, right? As Christians, thousands of years later, we don't, you know, Judaism is a part of our faith, but we, when we pray, we don't, we don't pray toward Jerusalem because Jerusalem isn't the center of our faith, Right? Jerusalem might be important. It might be significant in terms of history. Obviously, there's a lot of the story of Jesus happened in Jerusalem. But now, we don't pray facing toward Jerusalem. We pray facing toward Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the center of our faith. Jesus is the center of God's activity in the world. Right? You with me? And so what Daniel is doing, he's been doing his whole life. Even as a young man and now as an old man, even though he knows that a law was signed outlawing him from praying to God just days before, he gets up and he goes, do, goes about doing what he's always done. And what I love about this part of the story <coughs> is that when Daniel learns about this trap that's been set for him, I can just step back from the think about it for just a second, what's, what's going on in this story. When he realizes that this law has been passed 
with him and people like him in mind, right? Intentionally trying to get at a certain group of people. Daniel does not change his strategy. Like if, if I'm honest, if we're honest this morning, if it, was, if it was our situations, if we realized that there was a problem, a trap that had been set for us, we might, as a first response, sit down and talk through it. That I know would be my first default response. Right? If you're in your business and there's a problem, we might call in somebody with marketing and call the PR people, right? Get together. We've got to develop a plan. We've got to develop a strategy. We've got to figure out how we're going to solve this problem, how to get around this thing, this trap that's been set for us. But you know what Daniel does? Daniel just keeps doing what he's always been doing. Daniel is aware. Think about the story. He's aware that he's been doing well. He's the one that's been doing it. He's aware of the fact that he's about to be promoted. He could just play it cool, right? I mean, I know it's the law, but I mean, I'll just go along with it. Just 30 days, right? We'll, just, we'll get past it, and then probably everybody will forget about it. He could just go along with the law. He's aware of the fact that people have turned their back on him. The trap has been set, and he knows it, but what does he do? Just what he has always done before. Right here he is with his clean conscience, going about life in his normal way, getting up, going to work, going to school, working in the garden, paying the bills, being a good citizen, caring for my neighbors. And in private, in his own home, he keeps praying to God. Now notice he's not standing out on the corner. He's not picketing. He's not shouting with a bullhorn. If you're noticing that the windows are open and they don't have AC, this is probably a practical step in the story. He is going to pray and to praise, the story tells us. He is not doing it for attention, but he also isn't hiding it either. He is being who he is. He's like, if they walk by, they walk by, but this is what I do. And some of you may be wondering, like, three times a day, was there some command about that in the Old Testament? And the answer is to save you some time from looking in the Old Testament. No, there isn't, right? Here's why Daniel's doing this, I believe, because Daniel knows that if you live in Babylon or Persia, unless you have some regular, ongoing practices in your life to shape and form you as a child of God, you will become a child of the culture where you live. You hear me? Let me say it again. Daniel knows that unless you have some regular, ongoing practices in your life, that will shape and form you as a child of God, you will become a child of the culture where you live. Somebody might say, I haven't felt God's presence in my life in a long time. What I would say is, tell me about your ongoing practices that are forming your faith. Prayer. Spending time in God's Word. Spending time in the community of other believers. Serving your neighbors. Worshiping God. I used to feel God's presence, someone might say. What were you doing then? What were you doing then when you felt God's presence? I could almost guarantee you in those moments when we felt God's presence, it's because we were praying, we were reading scripture, we were gathering with other people to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, to fix our hearts on Jesus Christ, serving others, sharing life in meaningful ways in community. Yeah, during, during those times, maybe 
maybe there is something to that, right? <laughs> Daniel found ways. Think about what he's doing. He found ways while living in a place that wasn't interested in his spiritual life at all. He found ways to stay anchored to God, doing what he has done before. So this trap is set. And Daniel's co-workers, these other administrators, they catch him, as you might expect, as you might already know. And they go to Darius. They say, oh, Darius, we're so, so sad to report to you that Daniel has been praying to his God. And remember, I told you that Darius likes Daniel, so he's actually bothered by this report. Because he has a relationship and he knows who he is. So in his distress, the story tells, the king gives <clears throat> this speech where he basically says, Daniel, I don't really want to do this, but I have to because the law has been signed. <clears throat> Good luck. I hope your God is right. And so Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. And if you read the story closely in Daniel 6, it tells us that a stone is rolled in front of it. And a ring is used to seal the stone. And that should all sound familiar if you know the story of Jesus. And Darius goes back to his house that night and he's restless. He can't eat. He can't sleep. And so early the next morning, he goes back to the den and this is what happens next, picking up in verse 19. At, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called in to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, <coughs> may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel is so appropriate, right? Like, long live the king is basically what he's saying. <clears throat> and you and I know that if that was us in the lion's den, and we, had, we saw God shut the mouths of lions, and now we got all night to think about our first words to Darius when he comes back to that, the opening of that den, it is not going to be, may, may, may the king live forever. Right? We're going to give him a piece of our mind. Right? You had the ability to stop this, and you didn't. And it's at this point in the story that the story turns dark, actually. Darius deals with the people who falsely accused Daniel and set him up in this trap in the first place. And them and their families are actually the ones that get thrown into the lion's den together. It goes from bad news for Daniel to bad news for these that, these that have tried to set this trap. And so I want to think together about this story. What, is, what word does this story <clears throat> have for us today. And I think it's this. We must resist letting the empire steal the formative practice of prayer from our lives. We must resist the empire attempting to steal the formative practice of prayer from our lives. Right? I know, I know you, you might say, like, we live in America, right? It's the 21st century. We've got to go, 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 go. And I know you're busy. I know I'm busy, right? We have jobs and school and family and sports and hobbies and vacations. We're all so busy. Don't let the empire steal the formative practice of prayer from your life. You realize that I, I think that is the way that the empire does it today, right? They don't need to pass a law. <clears throat> They've sufficiently distracted all of us. Instead, they've convinced us to run at a pace that is so unhealthy 
neglecting the spiritual life for things that are temporary. Filling our time and our schedules and our lives with many, many, many good things, but things that are temporary. And we get so busy, this is what happens, friends. We get so busy that we look up one day and we've stopped praying. Maybe some of you can relate this morning. We stopped worshiping the creator and we started worshiping the created things. And I'm telling you, in the world that Daniel lived in was not our world. We live in a very different world. And yet, there are some things that he knows about living in an empire very well. He knows what it's like to live in a place that is not always interested in your spiritual life. And I, I've been personally convicted this, this in preparation for this sermon. I just need to be honest with you this morning. Is our first reaction, is my first reaction to difficult things to pray? Do I really believe that prayer can work in the way that Daniel seems to believe that it can work? Or is my first reaction to figure out a solution? And I'm talking individually, I'm talking as a church, is our first, is our first reaction to pray? Do we believe that prayer is just a, something we do a couple of times a week on a Sunday around a meal? Or is it a formative practice of our life? Daniel is doing this three times a day. Again, there's nothing significant to that for you maybe, but what it tells us is that it's an ongoing, regular rhythm in his life. He believes that something happens when he bows before God physically or in his mind, in a, in a chair, whatever it might be for you. He believes that something happens when he stills and quiets his heart before God that cannot happen.